0: Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. Thank you so much, Pastors Matt and Lisa, for having us. You guys are awesome. Aren't you thankful for your leaders? Some of Canada's finest leaders that lead you every week in this place, and we're just so thankful. You know... Uh, Years ago I was told, I'm a transplant, I'm from Florida, Uh, my wife is originally from Edmonton, God marked our heart for Canada years ago, and uh, I was told when we we moved to to Edmonton before we made the move that, you know, you can't have a revival church that's going to be larger than 200 people, that's what I was told. Canada really doesn't want revival, and we have seen the exact opposite of that in our movement And I'm thankful to come to a place like this to see a group of hungry people that are saying yes to the promises of God for this nation. It's places like this that give me hope for Canada. God is not done with this nation. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, um, amazing time in worship. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about Peter and his first love passion to his complacency to his failure, and ultimately his restoration. You know, we, we sometimes miss Peter's journey when we read the book of Acts, but when he was with the Lord, how many of you know Peter actually had quite a journey that for some of us very similar to our own? Before we get into this, I wanna give just a little bit of backdrop history. Scholars and church historians believe that every one of Jesus' 12 disciples we're all under the age of 20. 20 and under. Can I see your hands, please? Tw- if you're 20 and under, 20 and under. This would have been the age group that Jesus called to himself and said, You are going to be my apostles. Peter would have been the oldest. He would have been right around 20 years old. John scholars believe would have actually been 15 years old when the Lord called him. I love this because it breaks all stereotypes that say we have to play games, have fun, video games, to draw young people. Friend, I'm telling you, there's young people that God is raising up that don't want the foolishness. They don't want the games. They want the real thing, friend. The real thing. And one thing I've learned about this generation is that when they're shown the real thing, they're unstoppable. They'll grab a hold of it with everything they have. One thing else, one other thing I've learned about this generation is they can tell the real from the fake. They know the real from the fake and they want to know him intimately. One of the most important things I believe that the Lord is saying in this season to us is guarding the flame in our hearts. Keeping it alive and burning is one of the most important things we have to do in this season. How many of you know there is an extinguisher in the spirit from the enemy that is trying to quench the flame, the intimacy on your heart? And I want to show you in the life of Peter how this amazing man of God, if he was tempted It shows us that we also have to guard our hearts and watch. I want to take you on a journey through Peter's early years all the way to the very end before Jesus ascended into heaven. Mark chapter 135, this is, I love the book of Mark. Mark is one of my favorite books actually because it's an action book. Mark skips the genealogies, you know, he's not real prophetic like John. John shows up, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. All the other, you know, Luke and Matthew, they go into the historical genealogies. Mark, he's like me, I like a good action movie that just shows up like the guy jumping out of a helicopter on a rope, opening scene with a machine gun, brrr, like right into the action. That's Mark's gospel. He skips the early years of Jesus. He skips all the genealogy. He goes right into it. Mark chapter one, boom, Jesus is in ministry. And I love it. Mark chapter one, through 38 in the early morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place. And he was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else, to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. This is in the very Genesis, early moments of Jesus with his disciples. At this point, most likely they had not seen Jesus perform one miracle yet. This would have been right around the time that Jesus found Simon, mending his net with his brothers, on their father's boat, where Jesus was walking along the seashore, and he said, come, follow me, I'll show you how to be a fisherman of men. There was something about Jesus that was so magnetic that they dropped everything they had in that moment. I think it was the look in his eyes. I think that it was the magnetic presence that they felt off of him. Jesus didn't say, come on, if you follow me, I'm going to show you crazy things. I'm going to show you, Peter, how to walk on water. I'm going to show you how to take fish and loaves and multiply them and feed the masses. I'm going to show you this cool trick, how I turn water into wine. There was none of the gimmicks. There was none of the promises. Jesus just said, come. Come. Come follow me. Peter drops everything, and he follows him. And in this scene in Mark chapter 1, verse 35-38... through 38, I could just imagine this. All of the disciples are together and they're on this very beginning journey of following Jesus and they don't know what to expect. All they know is something is alive on the inside of me when I'm around this man. And they find themselves in this house and it's late at night and they're all sleeping and one of them wakes up. They realize Jesus is not there. got to imagine this because it's nighttime. There's no flashlights. There's no streetlights. They wake up and I'm sure I can imagine this scene, them waking each other up. Hey, where is he? Did he tell you where he went? He's gone. I don't know. Did he mention to anybody what he's doing right now? No, I have no idea. I have no idea. And I can imagine this conversation going on and all of them waking up to attention saying, we have to find this man because I can't lose the reality of what I experienced when I first looked into those eyes. And it says that early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus left the house, went away to a secluded place to pray. Simon and his companions jump up and it says they go searching for him. They are so hungry, they jump up in the middle of the night, early in the morning, let's say 3 a.m., I still call that middle of the night. Scripture calls it early in the morning, but it's still dark. They go into possibly the wilderness, frantically searching for him in the dark, and they finally find him, and they're at a prayer meeting that they were not invited to. You can imagine seeing and hearing what they heard in that moment, could you ever imagine what it would be like to hear Jesus pray? Like You're the Son of God. There's no, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Lord, I repent. I'll never think about that, do that, or act on that ever again. They're watching Jesus pray in this early formative years, And they're watching Jesus model what perfect communion with the Father is intended to look like. Perfect communion with the Lord is what this thing is about, friend. I am fascinated by elderly couples that still have the fire in their marriage. Come on any 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 elderly couples in here that you still you still love mama the way you did when she was 23. <laughs> I'm fascinated by it because there's something that's tended over the years. Nikki and I've been married 17 years and I love the compliments we get because we're very physical touch and in the airport we're hugging and we're holding hands and we we have these people come up to us sometimes and they think we're newlyweds. <laughs> and then when we tell them no we've actually been married 17 years we've been together 18, they're like, what? And you're still that in love? Yes. Because there's something you have to do in intimacy, and it's called putting fuel on the fire every single day. And I'm fascinating with with old couples that have maintained this for 40, 50, 60 years. I remember when I first met Nikki, she was, uh, she, she, Blew me away, like I was not looking for a relationship at the time I was that young, you know, 20 year old guy in the church That I'm going to go after God I don't need no distractions in my life <laughs> And all of a sudden Nikki Mathis came along She was Nikki Hilton at the time And that just flipped all that upside down And we started courting is what we called it back then We didn't date because our pastor said you're not allowed, you're allowed to court That means you can't be anywhere alone Is what our pastor told us He didn't trust me, he trusted her Ended up getting married and but I remember in those early years, like Nikki and I, we'd we'd talk on the phone till two, three in the morning, drop her off from the movies, and I'd pull out of the driveway and just pick up the phone and call her and say, Hey, baby, what you doing? <laughs> what do you mean, what am I doing? You just dropped me off. I know, I just wanted to hear your voice. You hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Come on take her out to a movie and keep the stub of a movie ticket like it's a memorial and a trophy. (laughs) Just madly in love. You remember when you used to love God that way? I remember when God first touched my life. My world was flipped upside down. I remember waking up in the middle of the night without any resistance to the Lord tapping me on the shoulder and saying, son, I want you to pray. First one in the house of God, last one to leave. Hungry for the things. I remember being a young man, knowing that I was called to ministry, I would scour, back then we had in the newspaper, all the church revival tent meetings back where I lived, I would scour the newspaper and I would find Tent revivals, I didn't know what fellowship they were. I would just go to every one of them because I was so hungry to just be with him. You know what I found over the years is there's a lot of things in culture that try to put that flame out. There's a lot of well-intended people that say, you know what, you don't have to be that radical. You don't have to be that, you know aggressive for the things of God all the time. And, you know, you you can just tame it down a little bit. I remember uh, I shared my briefly my testimony last night. Uh, You know, I was saved in a county jail. And, you know, I'm not ashamed of that. God rescued me there. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit there. God flipped my world upside down. God t- reached down to the bottom of the barrel, pulled me out, and he's used me for his glory. And it's a part of my story. But I'll never forget, when I got out, I wasn't churched. I'd never been to church. Well, thats I take that back. I was what we call a That You show up Christmas and Easter, sit in the back, show up late, leave early, you know. And it was nothing like this. It was a very, very like traditional service No praise and worship like this. And so I had never heard anything like this. I was saved for a year. And when I got out, I came into the church for the very first time. And like the first time I heard worship like this. Music and harmony and songs that I'd never heard before and I'm in the back and tears are streaming down my face and I remember letting out the biggest shout that I could and it was a shout of thanksgiving it was a shout of hope it was a shout of life and I was lost in the glory and I felt this tap on my shoulder I look over and it's this demon I mean deacon, deacon, deacon (laughs) and he says hey man You're scaring people. (laughs) I felt so bad because that wasn't my heart, but then I opened my eyes and looked around and I realized, what is wrong with these people? Like we're worshiping the creator of heaven and earth. He's the one that delivered me of my sin. He's the one that rescued me from my bondage. He's the one that washed me clean. How can you tell me not to worship him this way? I had to go on this journey of finding my people, but I realized over the years that like there's this thing called religion, this demonic thing called religion that wants to tame you and wants to water you down and wants to keep you silent and extravagance always offends the lukewarm. And here's Peter. He's in his early formative years and he's hungry and he's thirsty and he'll wake up in the middle of the night and it doesn't matter. He'll find Jesus even if it's a prayer meeting that he wasn't invited to. Three and a half years go by peter's not just this young radical fisherman now he's an apostle he's a big guy now jesus changed his name from simon to peter gave him the keys of the kingdom told him you've got authority to bind and loose peter has seen miracles now peter has watched jesus walk on water Peter was there when Jesus laid his hand on the coffin of the widow's son at Nain and presented her dead son back to the mother alive. Peter witnessed every single bit of this. But At the end of Mark, we see another prayer meeting. It's Mark 14, 32 through 44. It says they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I've prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death, Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, this is important, watch this. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know. What to answer him. And he came the third time and said, Are you sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. I want you to look at this because here he's at a prayer meeting and Jesus is practically begging him to be there. When he finds him asleep, he doesn't say, Peter. It says, he said to Peter, Simon. you got to understand, this is something if you overlook, you'll really miss what Jesus, I believe, is saying to this man. Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter in Matthew 16. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say a prophet from old. Yes, but who do you say that I am? Peter stepped forward and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replies back to Peter, blessed are you, Simon bar Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. Therefore, I'm gonna change your name from Simon to Peter. This was done publicly. This was a new identity for him. A name in that culture meant everything. And even the name Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar means son of. Jonah, he would have been the son of Jonah. I think what Jesus was saying is, I'm gonna change your name. You're no longer gonna be known as the son of someone who runs from the call of God. You're gonna be marked as a man that's an iron rock. You are gonna be someone that's bold and confident. That would have been a pivotal moment in his life And he would have walked around with a fresh confidence and revelation of who he is in Christ Jesus. But here he is at this prayer meeting, and Jesus no longer identifies him as Peter. Jesus says, hey, Simon. That would have offended Peter. Wait a minute, Jesus, what do you mean? Don't you remember all that change my name stuff? Heaven and earth stuff, I can bind and loose. And don't you, don't you remember that apostolic grace that you gave me in front of all these guys? And now you're going to publicly call me out for my former identity? Here's what I think Jesus was saying I liked you better before you were an apostle. I liked you better before you were polished with religion, and I liked you better. Where's the Simon that would get up in the middle of the night and chase me down with hunger and fire in your heart? Where is that guy? I'm looking for him tonight. That's the man that I need by me, not the man that's polished, not the man that's eloquent with his speech, not the man that knows how to do the ministry thing. I need the real, raw, young Simon in you to awaken again because this is a moment that is pivotal in my life. I believe if you asked Peter what was the greatest mistake that he ever made, I believe it would be this. He did not recognize the significance of the hour that he was living in. Friend, it's a prophetic picture in culture today. There are many people that are called, many people God loves, but they are sound, asleep, in pews all over Canada. God's saying, can you wake up and recognize the significance of the moment we're in? (laughs) History is being made, and you were born for such a time as this. What was Peter's sin? Peter became used to what he used to be in love with. Our greatest danger is that we don't get used to what we used to be in love with. Jesus shows up in Revelation chapter two, one through five, and he says this to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and I know your toil and I know your perseverance and I know that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those that call themselves apostles and they are not and you have found them to be false and you have perseverance and you have endured for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Wow, what a list. He says this but i have this against you you've left you've left your first love this is a statement because the church of ephesus friend little historical lesson would have been the greatest apostolic revival center in that day historians say that jesus's mother mary moved to ephesus to spend her dying days come on Timothy's there preaching how do you how do you think Timothy felt when Jesus's mom's sitting on the front row it's a little intimidating like this church had it going on I know your patience I know your love you hate evil you have discernment the ability to call out those that are false apostles you're doing the stuff man you're alive like people know who you are and he says all those things really don't matter because you've You're doing it out of performance now. You've really just left your first love. And this is what Jesus said, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand. What does that mean? He's just saying, I'll take your influence away. Your lampstand, unless you repent. Friend, I believe right now there's a new and fresh grace to experience the first love kind of relationship with God in this hour. Let's continue on the journey of Peter. Luke 22 54 through 62 gives us this powerful picture of what happens just hours after this moment where Peter was asleep in the garden. It says having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. Sound team, I want you to go slow with me here. Don't just jump to the next verse, because I want to walk through this. I'll let you know when. But Peter followed at a distance. The man who was right there at one time in his life now is following, following but yet at a distance. I've found a lot of people that are following, but yet still at a distance. I'm gonna follow close enough so that I can be classified as one of these Jesus people, but I'm gonna be far enough away so that if I ever get caught in the wrong crowd, I'm not gonna look like one of these Jesus people. Following, but at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. Next verse. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Next verse. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Let's stop right there. This next verse is one of the most powerful, pivotal Moments in Peter's history. This next verse has changed my life. Probably one of the most powerful statements in the scripture, in the New Testament, to me. Because I know what it's like to burn for God. And friend, over the last 17 years, I know what it's like to do the church thing and the religious thing. And I know what it's like to slowly lose the fiery passion that I once had burning in my heart and just showing up and saying the right things and doing the right things and just becoming a part of the crowd. I know what this is like, and I know the temptation that Peter was in. But friend, I'm here to tell you, the the Lord is so good that he will not allow us to stay there. Jesus is the image, the visible image of an invisible Abba. Jesus' life mandate was to reveal who Abba is to a culture that did not know his love. And even Peter in this moment did not know his love. Peter had forgotten who he was. Peter had forgotten the fiery, burning passion that was in his heart three and a half years earlier. And here Peter is at his worst moment. His worst moment. I don't know, maybe you're in the room and you have found this last season for you. It has been some of your worst moments. Can I tell you, God is not through with you Can I tell you, even if it's been your worst day, your worst moment, your worst season, your worst year, and you feel like, God, I'm so far from you, I feel like I've failed in every area, that is a perfect time for the goodness of God to sweep in and show you his love and show you who he is. And this is what he did for Peter in verse 61. As soon as Peter denied the Lord three times, No, I don't know him. I don't know him. I've never been a part of him. And as soon as this happened, the rooster crows. And in that next moment, Peter is close enough to the Lord, watching his arrest, watching them spit, watching them punch him, watching them pull parts of his beard out. And Jesus is this close. And Jesus, in Peter's worst moment, doesn't look away from him. In his worst moment, verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Friend, when you are at the bottom, when you're at your worst, he doesn't look away from you. And this is what he was showing Peter. Come on, Peter, lock eyes with me right now. I want you to see those eyes that you saw on a seashore years ago. I want you to lock eyes with me. Don't look away, because what you do when you're in shame is we tend to look away. And the Father, in his goodness, doesn't look away from you in shame. He says, lock eyes with me, son. Lock eyes with me, daughter. All you need to see is the love and the gaze in my eyes and that's enough to resurrect you and restore you right back to redemption. I don't know who I'm here talking to this morning, but I just feel a grace in the spirit to return to first love this morning. I feel there's some people in this room that at one time you were burning red hot for Jesus and culture and life and kids and marriage and work and careers and trying to save for retirement. All this stuff has swept in and over the years you've just lost that burning, fiery, intimate place. I came from Edmonton, Alberta to tell somebody this morning, God is not through with you. Your season is not over. He's about to raise you back up and put your feet on the high place again. He's called you son. He's called you daughter. Even if you're in deep, dark sin right now, he's saying, look right here. Look in my eyes, son. Look in my eyes, daughter. I still have a plan for you. Your story is not over, friend. Come on, if you believe that, just shout yes. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Our worship team, you guys come up here quickly if you can. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, don't wait on them to get up here. I want your heart just focused on the Lord. There's some people in this room that I can feel it by the spirit. When my words were going out, you were, they were like arrows hitting your heart. And you know, friend, you know, sir, you know, daughter, that I'm talking to you. Today is a good day. You know why? It's a day of redemption. It's a day of grace. It's a day of mercy. And you don't have to look away any longer. You don't have to hang your head down in shame. You may be right in the middle of the worst mess of your life, but just like Peter, he is not through with you. There's still promises. There's still a yes and amen to your story. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakemount.ca or download our app for your mobile device.